God is good. And all the time. All right, now that you know it, let's do it like you mean it. God is good. There you go, and all the time. No, it's a great statement to say, but the question is, do you really believe that? That when you've gone through the tough, it was God good in 2020? Amen. He was good in 2020. He's good in 1920. I don't know that, but I just, by faith, I believe that. And uh, he's a good God. He's a loving God. And uh, I'm so grateful that he's allowed me to do what I do. And not everyone's called to do it. We have some chaplains going to nursing homes. Praise God for them because I couldn't do that. But going into jail, I can do that. That's what he's called me to do. Now, in uh, the message this morning, uh, probably about nine weeks ago, I was in a Bible study. I'm in a Bible study every Saturday morning at the upper room in Sheboygan. And uh, we are just finishing up a Bible study in the book of Hebrews. Now, for those of you not sure with that, that's the coffee book. You know, it's Hebrews, and so coffee is a beverage of the Bible. But, uh, but it's in a, it, the upper room used to be called Upper Room Christian Coffee House, and so it's fitting. But we are finishing up the, bio, the study in the book of Hebrews, and Pastor Mike Thomas, who is, leads the Bible study, said, we got to decide, no, what are we going to do next? And I just was joking around. I said, how about Leviticus? I mean, who does a Bible study in Leviticus? You know, all the priestly garments, you know, and all the uh, articles of the tabernacle and the, the priestly duties, like really good stuff. Uh, it's this edge of your seat stuff. It's like, wow, I can't wait to see what happens next. And so I was just joking. So the next Saturday, we come back, and Pastor Mike said, all right, we're going to do Leviticus. And I said, I was just kidding. Well, we did Leviticus, and nine weeks ago yesterday, we started Leviticus chapter 1, which we're going to read in a moment. But when we began to really read it, I know if you have one of those times where you went in, you know, it's one of those times looking back, God set me up. When I said that, you know, I, was in, I didn't realize then, but I was inspired of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't joking. It's because when we began to read, God opened my heart and God opened my eyes to what I saw. And reading Leviticus chapter 1 in this group of guys Bible study, I began to get tears welling up in my eyes, and I could not, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was reading, but it never, I never saw it before. Have you ever read scripture where you read it? It's like, wow, I never saw that before. I, I can't tell you how many times I've stumbled through Leviticus, but we really read it. And so, uh, if you join me as we read Leviticus chapter 1, we're going to read the first 13 verses. It's kind of lengthy, but if you uh, bear with it with me as we go through it. So here we go, Leviticus chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring your offering an animal, as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, so it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar 
at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and, of the, and legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. You are to slaughter it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces, and the chief priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat on the wood of the burn, burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. I can see that moved all of you guys. When I began to really get that, I just hit my heart, and I still can't get I still know what I felt that day when I read it. Now, I want to read it to you the way I believe God really wants us to get this. So I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to really read it the way I got it that day. I'm going to start in verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you ought to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance and attend a meeting, and it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf and atonement for you. You see, I used to think, if I lived back in the Old Testament days, I think, man, I would never be out of the line. The line. No, the one everyone's lined up in because... You sinned, and so once a year, the high priest would go in and offer the burnt offering. But then if it's the other times during the year, you had to go and offer it. So you messed up, you're in line with everybody else, waiting your turn. I know how long it took, but you finally get up there, you give the priest your offering, then you walk away, and somebody ticks you off. It's like, oh, no i got to find something else now and go get your offering and get back in line and do it. And I saw myself doing that. Man, when would I ever be out of line? But as I began to read this, it struck my heart so much how personal this is. And so you make atonement on your behalf. You bring it. You lay your hands on it. That's a, a symbol of this. You've heard the term scapegoat. That's what they did. They laid their hands, and the guilt would transfer from there onto that animal, and it'd be banned from the, from the, the people. Look at verse 5. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. When you offered something, you had to offer the very best that you had. Your prize heifer. Your blue ribbon pig. But I personalize it even more. When I read that, my pet that I love so much, that meant so much to me that I had to slaughter it. See, you didn't leave it for the priest and walk off on your way. You were personally involved in it. You had to slaughter, here it says, the bull. 
Then Aaron's son sprinkled the blood against the altar. And this is where it really started getting to me, thinking of me and my, my dog. In fact, you can see my socks. That's the dog we lost just before COVID last year. We had to put him to sleep. It was hard. He was my buddy for 12 and a half years. And it hurts so much. And I began to think, to take your best. And that's, we had to put him to sleep because he had a tumor and the vet said he wasn't going to live. And so, because of something that was going on with him. But here in this context, it's because I messed up. Because of me. I have to sacrifice something that is so valuable to me. And then not only do I have to, this is going to be pretty graphic, not only do I slit its throat and let its blood bleed out, look what else I got to do. Verse 6, you're to skin the burnt offering and cut it to pieces. When I read that, I thought, whoa, I couldn't imagine. Because it wasn't that you just gave it to the priest and you go on your merry way, No. Because if it was that, I could see how it'd be so easy to trivialize it, get in, then go on your way, and oh man, I messed up again. Now, I, when I understood that, I thought, oh, to, to sin again when that cost me that much and hurt that bad, whoa, I might. Maybe we need to feel the sting of our sin sometimes to really wake us up. And then it says, and Aaron the priest will put it on the fire and raise the wood. In verse 8, then Aaron's sons and priests arrange all the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood with the burnt offering. You are to wash the internal organs and legs in water. That's when I really began to think and trying to put myself in that place. That, you know, when I'm washing the innard parts and I'm washing the leg, I tell you what, I'm taking so much care and loving what I could, but it's because of me that all this has taken place. A lot of times we forget all about that. And then in verse, and then it goes, it goes on the fire, and the priest put it on the fire. But the person had to do all the other stuff. Sacrifice it. Skin it. And cut it to pieces. And then it says, if it's of the flock... And basically the same thing, but Jesus, uh, the flock, a lamb or a goat, Jesus is known as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the cost of sin, it's very personal, and it is extremely painful. But we trivialize it so much, we, we separate ourselves from the sting of it. It's like, you know... No, I'm glad God did that. Thank you, Lord, for doing I'm so glad Pastor C mentioned today about communion, about it being personal. It's a big deal. God help us if we ever get so comfortable with it that we just go through the motions, and it means absolutely nothing. That's why it says, do this in remember. We are to remember what he did. A friend of mine that passed away from COVID back in November he was at our Bible studies every Saturday morning. In fact, he would be the one that opened up and make the coffee for us. He would say all the time, no, to me, every day is Christmas. To me, every day is Easter. To me, every day is Thanksgiving. And I said, and it should be for everyone. We should treat every day as if it's Christmas. We should celebrate Christmas every day, Easter every day, Thanksgiving every single day. 
But we end up trivializing it when we get our eyes off of what Jesus went through. When we take communion, do you, can you get a mental picture of Jesus hanging on that cross? And the blood pouring down him? And when the chief priests were hurling insults at him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that way for us? You see, because God loves us, it hurt him. I think it really hurt him to see us constantly being in the pain from the sin that we are trapped in and we're a prisoner of. That's why in John 3, 16, it states that God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only son. When you came to bring an offering to the priest, it is to be the best, without spot or wrinkle. It had to be a perfect, as humanly perfect as you could possibly, your very best. That's what God did. God gave his very best. He gave the perfection. He sacrificed something that meant so much to him. Can you imagine if you sacrificed your child? I'd tell you one thing. I'd have to be honest to you, you know, I couldn't do that for you. I couldn't. I couldn't sacrifice Chappie for you guys. Hurt too much. But God did just that. He gave his son for you and for me. And see, because God loves us, he extended his grace, his amazing grace to us, to you and me. His grace, there's an incredible song, Amazing Grace. You've sung it many times. Next time you sing it, really think about the words about his amazing grace. There's an acronym for grace, G-R-A-C, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this about grace. It says, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest lest anyone should boast. You see, God gives grace to us. You and I are saved by his grace. Grace is us, God giving us the very thing we don't deserve. Scripture is very clear. You and I deserve death, but he gives us life. He offers us life, and that's exactly what he says when we deserve death. So it's by this grace, his grace, that you and I can be saved. See, grace is much more than that food prayer at Thanksgiving time. When grandma says, who's going to say grace? Hey, Charlie, you say grace. I mean, think about it. Who's going to say, who said grace at Thanksgiving for you? Who was the one that said, who's going to say grace? When I get together with all our family, my wife's half and mine, they all look at me. You say grace. It's like, okay, I don't say a food prayer but I haven't taken the opportunity to teach him grace. But think about it. It's we do. It's not that food prayer. It has nothing to do with food. It has to do with God's goodness. It's have to do with God paying a penalty, a price that you owe and I owe that we never could pay. That's his grace. It's not that food prayer. So I challenge you, this Thanksgiving when someone says, you say, stop in a second and say, 
grace, why do you call it grace? I guarantee you they're going to say, I don't know. I don't know why we call it grace. My mom told me grace. You know, I've asked people that. Why do you say grace? I don't know. They don't. But it's not that food prayer. In John 3, 16, or John, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 16, look what it says about his grace. It's out of his fullness, God's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And to kind of explain that, the Passion Translation says it this way. And from the overflow of his fullness, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. God extends his grace to you. And when you find yourself in a place that in hurting your or your distant land from him, he gives you more grace. And when you've messed up again, he gives you more grace. And when you're walking away from him and you don't even realize it, he gives you more grace. He gives you grace upon grace and upon grace. I'm so glad we have a God that is a God of grace because we really need it. I need his grace every single day. But notice it says, we each receive a measure of grace when we put our faith and our trust in him. Because it is said in that passage in John chapter 1, verse 16, that we all received grace. So grace is something we receive. You receive it, and I receive it. It's something that we get from God. I meet with people all the time, and uh, one of the things that's one of the hardest things for guys and women when they're in jail, one of the things when you talk about it, they don't want to talk about it, is this thing called forgiveness. Because someone did something to them, you know, it's easy to, to blame other people for all my problems. But they have a hard time forgiving. And so I talk and I tell them, and I want to tell you this, if you have received forgiveness, if God has forgiven you because you asked for it, if you've asked God to forgive you, he's done just that. So you've received forgiveness. You cannot give what you do not have. So if you've never received forgiveness from God, you can't forgive people. But if you've been forgiven, if you've received forgiveness from God, you can forgive. The question is, will you? You can. I illustrate this way with inmates. I say, can you give me a dollar? They look at me because they don't have any money. If they do, they're going to be in trouble. They don't have any money. I said, can you give me a dollar? I said, no. I said, how come? I know the answer. Because I don't have I said, I know, you don't. But if you did, and you have to decide, hmm, do I want to part with it? Who am I going to give it to? God wants us to forgive everyone. He's forgiven you. If you forgive one person, do you run out of forgiveness? I don't think my God runs out of forgiveness. If he's forgiven you, you got that pipeline of forgiveness that will pour into you. So we receive a measure of grace. We receive it from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 so if you've received grace from God, this is what the Apostle Paul's words to you and to me are. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
What does that mean? Glad you asked. Passion Translation puts it this. I like it. It helps explain things. Passion Translation says this. Now, since we are God's co-workers, that's who we are. We're God's co-workers. We're on his team. He's not the boss that stands his due. He's right there with us. Now, since we are God's co-workers, we beg you not to take God's marvelous grace for granted, allowing it to have no effect in your life. Has God's grace affected your life? I mean, really affected your life? That people that knew you way back B.C.? I'm not talking about before zero, zero. I'm talking about before you came to Christ. People that knew you then, if they met you now, would they say, whoa, what got into you? I mean, you are not the same George or Charlie or Mary that I knew. Man, something is different about you. You don't even have to say it. I remember when I came to faith in Christ, my job this time, people said, man, you used to be fun. Now you don't go out to parties. I flew in the Air Force, you go. When we go into crew rest, I'm not running the bars. And they even said, man, you used to be fun. And I'm thinking, if that was fun, man, I'm having fun now. Because I can drive home, the cops behind me, go ahead and stop me. I'll tell you about Jesus. I don't have to look and, man, I hope they don't. Man, it's so great being saved and not doing that stuff. It's, uh, don't have to worry. Don't have to look over your shoulder all the time. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But is there such a difference in your life that people see it? Do they want what you have? No, last year, 2020, it was a tough year, wasn't it? In fact, have you heard the term, don't go 2020 on me? Have any of you heard that? That means, man, don't go crazy on me because 2020, whoa, that was crazy. I remember telling my wife recently, and, and I shared it with someone today. I said, my wife and I didn't have a 2020. What, were you out of the, off the earth? No. The impact that 2020 had on people didn't have the same impact on us. I told my wife, we didn't have a 2020 because we had a 2018. What I mean by that, some of you might know, but in 2018... My wife had brain surgery because she had had a stroke, two, two strokes in 2016. She had brain surgery in 2018, March 22nd. Six weeks later, I had a heart attack. Five months later to the day, I had a heart attack on May 3rd. And on September 3rd, that's actually four months later, our son committed suicide. 2018 was a year. But, you know, we didn't miss in what we did. My wife had brain surgery. I was leaning on Jesus. Boy, that was tough. Had a heart attack, leaning on Jesus. Our son committed suicide. My feet aren't touching the ground. I'm leaning on Jesus. Because of that, 2020 had no, didn't have an effect on me. Why? Because we've just been leaning on Jesus. I fixed my eyes on him. All the garbage and all the stuff that went on last year and is going on in the world now, I'm just keeping my eyes on Jesus. That's not having an effect on me because, in fact, one thing God spoke to me loud and clear because 2020 was, that was a crazy year. And in the body of Christ, it was, I saw, saw things and heard things I never thought I would hear or see in the body of Christ. 
And yet Jesus said to me, one is, I haven't called you, I have not called you to lift up a cause. I've called you to lift up Christ. He says when he's lifted up, he will draw people into me. He does all the work. All we got to do is lift him up. And he allows us to do that by his grace. I was one time, years ago, when I first started in the ministry, you always had to wear ties, coat and tie. And I had lots of ties. My nieces and nephews, my kids would always buy me ties for, I mean, Groundhog Day, Easter, birthdays, 4th of July, trees falling, or leaves falling out the tree. Whatever the occasion, they bought me ties. So I had a lot of ties. And so a good friend of ours, Diane, I don't think she's watching because she would might be not happy with this. She lives in California anyway. But uh, she bought me a battery-operated tie rack. It's the kind you put on the pole in the, in the closet, push the button, it goes around. and I had to hold about 50 ties. But I had a lot of ties, ugly ties, thin ties, wide ties. I had a rainbow trout tie. But um, a lot of ties. And I remember quite a while went by, and I was looking for something on the shelf in the closet, you know, that gets, like, piled with stuff. I'm looking for something, and I feel like, that. what is that? I look, and I got this orangish, brownish goo on my hand. I, what is that? So I take it, the box, of the battery, the tie rack was in there. I put, the batteries were corroding, and were leaking all over. And it was there, God spoke to me. Has he ever spoken to you things in your life? and made it a teaching moment. God asked me, how do you ask? And in my spirit, I sense, he said, what would Diane think if she saw that's what you did with the tie rack? That's what he said. Me, you never received it. You had it in your possession, but you never received it. You never used it for its intended purpose. That's why Paul says that don't, we beg you not to take God's grace for granted, allowing it to have no effect in your life. Just like that present, that tie rack sitting on the top shelf. Have you taken God's grace and stuck it on the shelf to maybe some, some one day and find out it's just, ooh, it's gone bad on you? Hopefully not. See, it's like sacrificing something of great value to you and then walking away like, ah, oh well, no big deal, I'll just get another dog. I'll just get another whatever. Now, one thing coming to Word of Grace, I've learned one thing, and I've gotten used to it. You guys, at the very end, there's the, there's the WOG bottom line. You guys used to that? Like, all right, that's the punchline. This is sum it all up. This is what I want you to get. And so here we go. The bottom line is grace is not the big cover-up for sin. So in other words, it's not that no, the cover-up for sin is, man, I'm glad God is a graceful God because, whoo, last night, oh, man, I'm so glad he's a gracious God because, whoa, I need some of that grace today. You ever done that? Or when that pull is coming at your heart and it's like, I know I shouldn't, I know, but then, it's, then the enemy says, but just go ahead and just ask God to forgive you. He's a gracious God. He's full of grace. Just ask him, go ahead. Just ask him to forgive you. That's cheap grace. 
My God did not buy and provide cheap grace. He provided priceless grace. He spared no expense. See, it's not the great cover-up for sin, but it's the ability that God gives to you and to me to do the very thing that his truth demands. God will never require you or ask you or command you to do something that he does not give you the ability to do. So if you've received God's grace, guess what? You've got the ability to flee from temptation. Nike, just do it. No. How about run from it? Flee temptation. That's biblical. He's given you the ability to be anxious for nothing. 2020, any of you anxious? Don't raise your hands. Were you anxious? Are you anxious today? All the stuff going on in the world? Grace, when you receive, will help you to get through and not miss a beat. Things don't go your way? That's all right. They must have gone God's way. I'm good with that. They don't have to go my way. Just go God's way. Instead of having God line up with my way, no, I'm going to line up with God's way. He's given the ability to forgive one another. If you've received forgiveness, you can forgive. And I believe sometimes that stretching our faith, that's where God will bring someone in our life that, oh. have you ever seen someone coming your way and you want to turn and go the other way and hope they didn't see you? There's a story kind of like that, that there is a, a priest and a Levi. They saw a guy, no, 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 no. They go on the other side. They don't want nothing to do with it. But then the Samaritan came and took care. God wants you to be a Samaritan, not that priest or Levite that goes around. God gives you the ability to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's called us to do. The reason why you're still here and the reason I'm still here and we're not in heaven, he's got a job for you. He's got a job for me. It's to shine for him. It's to love people. It's to be Jesus reflected in this world. Now think about this. This came to me this morning. Is, uh, I love when God talks to me and he interrupts my thoughts. And know if you have, have you ever heard that small, still voice? It's like, I heard that. Think about it. We all came this morning to worship Jesus with family that's known by word of grace. That's pretty cool. It's not a coincidence. So it shouldn't just be the place where you go, but it should be the very thing that you do. It's active. It's an active title. It's not a passive title. God wants the words that come out of your mouth, the words that come out of my mouth, to be words of grace, words of love, because that's how God speaks to us. And as you leave this morning... I pray that when you leave this building, you go out into God's mission field. That's what that is outside the doors. It's a mission field. And when you leave, we're going out in mission. You're not leaving church. You're going out into the mission field to be the church. You can't walk away from what you are. But as you leave and leave this building, go into God's mission field... I pray that you're filled with words of grace 
and the love of Jesus. And that when he comes back, he catches you red-handed doing the very thing he wants you to do. That's what I want. I want him to catch me red-handed doing exactly what I want and he wants me to do. I want him to say, I knew you'd be doing that. Come on. You come on home. Man, I can't wait, but one day we're going to hear that. Stand with me if you would. Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing grace. It's a great song, but so much better than that, it is a reality of what you extend to us. And Lord, as we are contemplating the very things that are going to go on today, it's such a gorgeous day out, but let's not lose focus on what you have called us to do. We can enjoy your goodness. We can enjoy the incredible weather. But we always must be mindful that there is lost people we're going to encounter today that need to see you and need to hear you. And you want to do that through us. So thank you for your incredible grace. May we never take for granted the price you paid on that cross. May we never take for granted when we're tempted that, oh, I'll just ask God to forgive me. I prayed that prayer so he'll forgive me. Oh, God, help us to remember the pain you went through to pay for our sins that we might have an eternity with you. So thank you for loving us so much that you would do that for us. You paid a debt we could never pay, and you you paid a debt that we owed, and we owed a debt we could not pay. So thank you for setting us free. Thank you that we can not only receive grace, but we can walk in grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your grace to run the race that we have laid out before us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we go in your power and in your love. May lives be transformed because you have transformed us. And as we live among them, you rub off on them. So, Lord, thank you again for loving us and using us as we yield to you. We pray you are honored and glorified. So we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless you.